So before I say this, the next point, I do want to sort of preface it with Apple's only obligation is to their shareholders. They have no obligation to the consumer whatsoever. Sure. And that misconception sure. that they owe the consumer anything is, is, is non-existent. There has never been a bigger FU, I don't think, recent tech history than Apple happily selling a $50,000 Mac Pro and then several months later essentially obsoleting it. John. What can I do for you? It's rare that we have an opportunity like this. I wanted to kind of relish in the moment with you for just a, just a moment or two. Let's relish in it. Let's catch up in it. Let's condiment away about why this is a unique opportunity. Well, the thing is, is you and I have an opportunity that not even our listeners get to experience. That's true. And that is being in the conversational presence of who may be the greatest Mac reviewer of all time. I don't think it's subjective anymore, right? Right. I don't think so. I think it's objectively the best. Yes. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but it sounds like a punishment. (laughs) The stars have aligned and we get to speak with Mr. Quinn Nelson for the second week in a row. Snazzy Q himself. There's a like special cut of this podcast from last week that only we got to (laughs) hear with Quinn's gems and insights. And that's because Quinn also, I mean, aside from being known for great Mac reviews, is also known as one of the leading opinionists. I don't know what kind of word that is on audio. Would you agree? I would definitely agree. I don't know if any of that is true, but thank you. And if you guys pay me the royalties that I'm owed this week, I'll send you my section of the recording. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and last week's as well. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. No, that one's that that ship has sailed. <laughs> Quinn, welcome back. We're glad that you're able to to make the time to join us again because while we love having you here to talk true. to you, it's, it's all about the audience. Can I start? I know we have a, a list of questions to go through with Quinn, but I want to start with, with a question. So Quinn, we have a, a bunch of mutual friends in common, right? People who are in the industry that we've, we've both met. And I always hear the same thing from people after they meet you. Quinn is so nice. It's not who I expected. <laughs> <laughs> and I think oh. people get a sense of you from social media, you know, when you're on Twitter uh, at that point and social media presence in general. And probably people listening, if I've heard you and remember you from there. Is it fair to say it's two different versions of the same person? Yeah, I would say so. At times, I don't think they're as separate as people seem to believe them to be. But in the same breath, it's certainly a character that I play up on on YouTube and on Twitter. And it's a bit. So, yeah, I like to think that I'm a good guy in real life. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Do you hear that from the people, too? Like, oh, you're not who I expected. Not necessarily negatively, but you're just you're not what I expected. I've seen it anecdotally, not from like people that are kind of YouTubers, because I think in that realm, I've been around a long enough and and other people have been around long enough that that's kind of familiar already, but certainly from viewers. I remember the one example when we were moving out of our old office, we had a big server rack that I just listed on our local classifieds. Actually, no, I put it on Twitter and said, hey, this is a nice server rack. We're moving. We don't need this anymore. Does anyone want it before I just leave it on the side of the road or whatever? And one guy responded, oh, I'd love to. Thank you so much. And I said, okay, come get it. And we helped him load it in the cars. Nice guy. And he went up and put it on Reddit and said, hey, I got this sweet server rack. It was from Snazzy Labs. And one of the top comments was, 
how was the guy? How was he in real life? And yeah. <laughs> the guy responded, super pleasant, really nice. He he helped us. You know, I could tell they were tired because they had been moving stuff all day, but they helped helped me load it in my truck. Really friendly guy. And everyone was like, wow, that's that's interesting. And I'm like, does everyone just think I'm a jerk? <laughs> anyway, funny. yeah, yeah. So that was that was my lead in. We can't be so nice to Quinn in our intros. We got to bring it back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You got to humble me a little bit. Come on. <laughs> All right, let's jump in. Let, let's. I just wanted to find out. Let's start with. This isn't new. I just want to know what games you guys are playing right now, video game wise. Pilot Wing sixty four. Oh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not joking. I went to my Switch and booted it on for the first time in a while. My wife's been playing the new Harry Potter game, and she's not a gamer, so it's been fun kind of seeing her get excited about stuff. And I thought, hey, you know what? I want to I wanna have a little fun. So I booted up the Switch and pre-ordered Hearts of the Kingdom, the new Breath of the Wild. And then after I bought that game, was like, but I want something to play now. So then I looked around the store for 20 minutes, didn't find anything. And I said, I'm just going to go back to the Nintendo 64 emulator. And it's been a grand time. Just some pilot wigs. Yeah. I'm landing planes, flying jetpacks. Viewers should know that Andrew was asking this question while he was wearing a very bright Xbox shirt. Oh, Yes. He looks like Phil Spencer. (laughs) (laughs) I am waiting for Tears of the Kingdom, the Breath of the Wild sequel, like Quinn said. So I'm playing. I play most of my games on Steam Deck. It's hard for me to play games like with with kids. I don't have I don't have that much time. And if they're like adult oriented, I don't want the kids seeing that. Although what I am playing is definitely not adult oriented. I'm playing the Lego Skywalker. (laughs) Hey. Oh, is that with your kids? Saga. No, I'm just playing it like in 15 minutes when like my my wife's in the shower after the kids go to sleep. And I'm still playing through for the second time Miles Morales on Steam. Mm. So you have picked up the Steam Deck and like you haven't stopped. It's been perfect. I love playing games on the PS5 or Xbox, but I, I don't have that much time during the day. And when I, you know, have time, you know, my kids are home and like, I don't want to be sitting there while like, I only have a couple hours to spend with them. And if I want to play like a shooter game, like I don't like kids don't need to see that or, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So the Steam Deck's been like an awesome way to take some of those like tier one games with me and be able to do it totally on my time. That's cool. I'm embarrassed to say that I got a Steam Deck, not right at launch, but like a couple weeks after. And like I unboxed it and I have yet to play a single game. But you don't no. you don't have to, right? Man, if you're able to sit in front on, of a man. PC or your Xbox or PlayStation and have time to do it, then like you're good. Like you don't have to do it mobile, you know, on the Steam Deck. Yes. But my plan for it's just it's just a, like having time to like start something new, I guess. It's easier to make time for a TV show that you already like and know and want to see the next episode of versus like watching a new one. So for me, my plan for the Steam Deck was really to get into more of the PC gaming stuff. Like I wasn't going to play my Xbox, like anything I have on Xbox or PlayStation or Switch, I'm not going to play on a Steam Deck or just didn't think I would. But I figured I'll get into some new stuff that I haven't tried before. But anytime it's time for me to game, it's like I want to play what I discovered is I want to play what I already like enjoy and know. That's fair. Which right now has been uh, I play a lot of Halo Infinite, Fortnite, the new Destiny 2 Lightfall, and then... I started The Last of Us like when it, I don't even know when it came out, 12 years ago or something. I played through like one level and never went back, even though I liked it. But the show has made me want to actually go back and like play through that series. So I haven't started yet. See, Quint, Quint's telling me I should got to do it. I'm doing the same. I finished The Last of Us when it came out and then I played it again years later on the PS4. 
It's one of my favorite games ever. And then The Last of Us 2 came out. I started playing that when it came out, but there was a bug and I got stuck inside the elevator in the courthouse. You'll know what I mean if you if you play The Last of Us 2. It's pretty early on in the game, but I was probably three, f- I don't know, four, three, four hours into oh, the campaign and I was just stuck and I had no motivation to go back and just start the whole thing over again. So I never got back into it and I haven't played it. And so when the show came out, I was itching to play the games again. And I thought, well, you know what? I don't remember the game that well. I'm going to start with the first one and then I'll move on to the second one. And I'm about halfway through. I was keeping up with the show really well, which was a blast. And then the show skipped, you know, pretty big time jumps. So I'm now very behind in the game, but it's been fun to kind of play them in tandem. Interesting. Yeah. I have So not having played through, I don't know how well it like matched up with the very show, well. but yeah. I've seen yeah people yeah. online say it and it's, it's like, what a surprise. Like, cause you compare it to like the Halo TV show, which if you play Halo, I, what I've heard is people who don't play Halo, who've watched the show, enjoy the show. But people who've played Halo, who watch the show, think the show is terrible because it doesn't match up at all with the game. John, have you watched the show, Last of Us? I have not watched any, nor have I played any of the Last of Us games, but oh. I know there's like one episode left, so I'm just going to wait till it's done and then I'm just going to sit and, and just sort of binge the whole series and, and not know anything. Okay. I have no context for anything. Just, uh, I don't know, what is it, some killer mushrooms or something? You know, and, uh, <laughs> Pretty much. and give it a watch. It's like watching Mario Bros, but if Toad was evil. <laughs> fair, fair enough. You know, every, every video game just stomps on mushrooms, so I guess we get to see it, you know, a bit more played out. That's right. <laughs> it's time for the mushrooms to take their revenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into some of this news. First, YouTube building AI into the product for creators specifically. So the the quote was creators will be able to expand their storytelling and raise their production value from virtually swapping outfits to creating a fantastical film setting background through AI's generative capabilities. That's from YouTube's new CEO. Does this sound exciting to you guys to be able to raise your production value by just a couple clicks of a mouse? <laughs> Does that answer your question? <laughs> I mean, in theory, it all it all sounds nice, right? Like you know, when I fart, when I fart, rainbows come out. Sounds great. But if I change outfits and suddenly my shirt looks like it's like going through half of my face, um, you know, it's it, sometimes the tools are not worth it. I think it's interesting, and I'm sure the future is is going that way. But it is still it, it is still a, a ways off. I think so too. On the one hand, it's kind of neat in the sense that if you're a new creator and you don't have killer cameras and an awesome production team and a set built out, uh, it gives you the theoretical ability to kind of quote unquote compete with people that have more than. With that said, I think that it's always been the case. Perhaps I'm old YouTube and biased and dumb. But I think ultimately it's the content of the video that tends to be more important than pretty much anything. Even crappy audio quality and video, people will tolerate a lot so long as the content is interesting. I mean, look no further than he's kind of an outdated example now and and has had his fair share of controversies. But you look at someone like PewDiePie, who for years was recording in 480p with terrible microphone quality and his viewers didn't care because they loved him. And so I think that'll continue to be the case no matter what these AI tools do. I think it's an interesting idea, but I, similarly to John, am very skeptical of it actually being a thing. (laughs) Yeah. And again, we're probably just old YouTube, like you said. 
Have you guys seen the TikTok filter that's been like going viral the past week or so? I'm glad you brought that up. Glamour something. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I brought it up was because I don't know what they're doing, but it doesn't act the same way the other facial filters do, where if you, you cover your face in any way, those other filters just kind of disappear while this one like like mapped on, like stuck on. And when John said like my shirt is like going through my half my face and everything, I was like, I don't know what they're doing with this filter, but if that's where things are going, if you can if you can stand in front of your camera and batch shoot like three videos and just change your shirt with like a couple clicks, that is that is that so is kind of cool. That filter is allegedly the first time AI is actually being used. TikTok won't admit it. Oh, really? But that is allegedly the first sort of widespread AI being used, that that weird beauty filter. And listen, if you're thinking about using AI for shooting videos like a filter, then sure, you know, it could potentially work. But I don't think there's still a bit of uncanny value when you sort of look at those things. It doesn't... It, yes. It doesn't look right, but I'm sure we'll get there. We won't be able to tell the difference. Yeah, the other thing too, I think is no matter how good AI gets at mapping those kind of textures onto an object, onto your face, you still need art style (laughs) and you still need the ability to kind of make that work for you. One of the kind of criticisms I've seen about this filter beyond it being a little uncanny valley is that just everyone looks the same. So you put it on and all the women will have the same eyebrow shape and they have the same lash look and the same makeup. And it's uncanny valley-esque in the sense that it makes you look different enough that on the flip side, when you're looking at it, you're like, oh, that does actually look like me with makeup. But then you look at everyone else and you're like, but also everyone kind of looks like that though. So (laughs) I don't know how, I think it'll be difficult over time to A, make it not seem creepy and then B, have enough variation and AI know how to say, okay, let's put these eyelashes on the person. Let's make their face shape look like this so that it doesn't make it look so strange. But I don't know. It's an interesting idea. The AI world, I don't like it. Yeah, I think that the easier one to kind of tolerate, I guess, would probably be like just a quick virtual background yeah. swap. Yep, for sure. Right, like, just set, like or- design your set or even pay someone to design your set and then just put that behind you as a, as a graphic. Could be cool. What about YouTube shorts duetting? John, I know you're all about shorts. Duetting is coming. He doesn't care. I mean, I'm interested in YouTube shorts. I think anything that drives engagement on the platform is great. But I, again, I'm still going to say it until YouTube can figure out their monetization strategy, they're not going to push. It doesn't care what technology they put in there. And just for people listening, I just took myself off of a face thing here. Just for comparison, I like to share this in all disclosure. On our Interstellar News Channel, which is mostly YouTube shorts, the past 28 days, it has done an even 14 million views. Bananas. I can't even. I mean, that's probably that's $100,000 on regular YouTube, probably. Yeah, maybe more. Maybe more. The estimated revenue for that has been $865. In all fairness, YouTube said it's going to be slow. It's going to ramp up. They, they set expectations very low. And if you take away the dollar amounts, we have seen our curve you know, go up and to the right, which is nice. But until they that, that part has to be figured out. I don't care what else they add. They're not going to get the creator talent that they need and have on the other side of their platform to drive the engagement unless they can figure out the monetization to be, to be better than it is. And I, I have faith that it will get there. But who's going to invest time and money in YouTube Shorts, as a business at least, if there's no ROI on it? That makes sense. Apple may have something new for us next week. Yeah. New products. First new products. Wait, is it the first new products of the year? I think so. The rumor is it's going to be yellow colored 
iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Pro. So last year was green. And last year was the first time that the Pro was included in the spring color refresh. It had previously just been the standard iPhone. So what's odd to me is if you think of yellow, obviously we don't know what the hue is, but the iPhone 14 Pro is frosted. So yellow and gold seem, at least at first, when I think about it, seem very close in color. But yeah, you're excited about a new iPhone color. Do you upgrade mid-cycle to get the new color? Well, I find this thrilling. People do that. Uh, peak People in, do that. Peak innovation. It'll be the best yellow that there's ever been. Cosmic, <laughs> cosmic yellow. We think you're going to love it. <laughs> it's a great yellow. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do with the green ones the last couple of years, every time, especially last year with the Pro, I was like, oh, I wish I could have had that. But I don't know. I've always been kind of surprised by the mid-cycle refresh. Obviously, it works for some people, but it seems strange that someone that has been waiting on an iPhone 14 will go, oh my gosh, now it's in yellow. I, I'm getting this one. Yeah, it is weird. But it must work because they keep doing it. So Apple will send me those mid-cycle refresh colors and it's anecdotal, but those videos will perform better than the initial, hey, here's the brand new phone. That happened with the purple iPhone. That happened with the green one last year. Like, I don't get it. And and there does seem to be people like, oh, there's green now. I need to go buy this. It, not only is it weird that you waited six months, but it's also weird that in six months, there's a whole new one coming. That's the weirdest one. Is It's literally just the fact there's a new color. Then that's what's making you make the decision to buy. But like Quinn said, it, I mean, it, it obviously works. It obviously puts them back in the the quote unquote news cycle for the iPhone. Also, I would assume we'll see new case colors, new watch band colors. But do we think there might be anything else? Like last year, I believe it was the, it's called peak performance. So I don't, was that the, was that the Mac studio? Yep. So there was a Mac as well as just, it seems like it's not enough to just be an iPhone, a new iPhone color and that's it. Like, do, is there anything we expect or hope to see? There's a lot of stuff that's been kind of in fluxus. I know some stuff has allegedly been pushed back. The headset originally was slated for March, right? And now everyone's kind of saying, mm, it's probably going to be closer to WWDC or something like that. But that's why I think maybe this would have been lumped in with a product that would have been ready to go. Maybe something like that. And they would have just mentioned it as a kind of bumper or whatever. But now I wouldn't be surprised if it just press release shows up on the store one day and there you go. And you know what? That will be a great opportunity for Apple to send it to a lot more YouTubers than they usually do. Apple, send me a yellow iPhone and I'll make a short about it. Acknowledge my existence and, and I'll give you a high five. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> or like, come on, like we're also talking about the rumor of the M2 15 inch MacBook Air that's yeah. been floating out there. Yes, right? I'm making that move when that thing comes out. Okay, I got a question on that. Why? This seems like the strangest machine to me. A 15-inch MacBook Air? Yeah. I got my wife an M2 MacBook Air, and I've loved it. I think for most things, it's almost a perfect computer, in all honesty, minus the SD card slot. I'm not doing editing on my laptop at all. And honestly, it's something that'll feel different than the my two-year-old Mac Pro I've been using. I mean, you don't need to sing the praises to me about the MacBook Air. I'm using one right now, and it's been fine. But why? But why big? Old eyes? Yeah, why, why 15? 
I've always gone on the smaller side, just to try it, in all honesty. I'm on the opposite end. I would love for them to bring back like a 12-inch MacBook Air. Ooh, that sounds lovely. I just want to, I'm honestly, I just want to, just want to try it. No, right. no other reason other right. than that. All right. Fair enough. Would you go M2 Pro if that was offered or would you just stick with M2? Probably M2. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, the MacBook Air is almost a perfect computer for everybody. I mean, it, it's hard to find a person and some spec the M, that the MacBook Air is not a good computer for. It might not be the most ideal computer, but it's pretty good for most people. You know, having multiple screen sizes, I, I think would probably give more people an option that want that larger screen. But Apple's notoriously messed up their laptop line for years with sort of no, especially their naming scheme. You know, they had the 12-inch MacBook, MacBook Air, and then they had a MacBook. It was the MacBook Pros. It's always a, a confusing sort of lineup, so it wouldn't be surprising to see it just get confusing again. Yeah. My problem with the MacBook Air has always been it's, well, I shouldn't say has always, since the introduction of, frankly, the M2, but even the M1 to an extent, has always been value proposition. If you get the base model MacBook Air, it's a fantastic deal, right? As soon as you start to spec it up, you're getting really close to the pricing on the on the MacBook Pro, which affords you, sure, it's larger and it's a little heavier, but it affords you a significantly better display, like not even close. Better speakers, better microphones. It's a much better computer, in my opinion. So where I guess maybe a 15-inch could fit in is even if you, if you spec the 14-inch MacBook Pro up to about the same configuration as you'd get on the 16 inch macbook pro you're looking at about it's about a 500 price delta so you're paying 500 bucks for the bigger screen and large battery and the 16 inch is an unwieldy beast right because it's pretty heavy the display's large so i could see a 15 inch macbook air kind of fitting in for some people that want the larger display but don't need that extra horsepower and don't care about the mini led display i think apple has to be careful because it might push up into a price point where the people that are considering buying it go, eh, maybe I'll just get the pro. You get to the point where you're just, just a couple hundred dollars difference. I mean, if even totally. that. If even that. I mean, sometimes you'll find the entry-level MacBook Pro on sale and it's less expensive than getting the exact same spec, you know, but it's not the exact same spec, MacBook Air. So I don't know. That's always been the tricky well, point. Although, I, wish the, I wish the Air started 100 or 200 bucks cheaper. The question for me, I guess, is what is the price difference between a 13 and a 15? Because I like that what they did with the iPhone Plus, even though obviously the results that we've heard is that it's not selling too well. But previously, if you wanted a 6.7 inch, 6.7, 6.8, whatever it is, inch iPhone, you had to pay $1,100. And now you don't. With the laptop, if you want a larger than 13 inch display, from Apple, no matter what your use case is, even if it's just, I want to check email, you have to start at, what is it? $2,700 is the starting price of the 16 inch entry level MacBook Pro. I thought it was $2,499, but you might be right. It might be $2,400. But if you have the ability to then get a 15 inch and pay you know, $1,300 or something, you're close to half the price. And so I think that would be nice to offer people. Well, that's the other thing that maybe would make sense is you on the bigger MacBook Pro, and I don't know why this has always been the case, but it's always been perceived as kind of the more premium machine. So even with the existing MacBook Pros, and these this is the first time really in the in the modern era where you've been able to spec up a 14-inch MacBook Pro to the exact same maximum specs as a 16-inch MacBook Pro, but even at its base configuration, the 16 is slightly better, right? And so if they had exactly the same specs, 
it was an M2 and the same RAM, the same storage. The only difference was screen size. Then maybe they could say, okay, yeah, it's it's a hundred bucks more to get the 15 inch. And I could see a lot more people opting for that if that were an option. But if they if they up the specs and oh, you can only get it in an M2 Pro or whatever, and it's two grand, then it's kind of like, eh, what's the point? Just get the, you know, but anyway. I see that. It's interesting. I'm interested. Let's talk about another thing I think you're interested in. Just since we're on the topic of rumors about Macs, how about the Mac Pro? The what? I already know when the <laughs> Mac Pro comes, you're going to have some crazy, like the one you did last time. We're just going to take this entire thing and just take every single screw out of it and just look at every component, which I, I already know. I'm looking forward to what you're going to do with it. What are you hoping to see from the Mac Pro and how do you feel about the rumors that it almost might just be a Mac Studio replacement as opposed to the more ambitious <laughs> plans that seem to be before? I do not understand what is going on with this thing. I've got to think that something's happening in the background that we're not aware of because it just sounds dumb, right? The original plan was to have the Jade 4C, so it would have been two M1 Ultras glued together. Yes. Right. So double the power of the M1 Ultra. And then it turns out, based on all the kind of supply chain leaks we found, that that was too hard. Apple wasn't getting adequate yields. They couldn't really make it happen. So they're like, never mind. We're just going to stick to the M1 Ultra, which then became the M2 Ultra, which might be by the time it comes out the M3 Ultra, right? Because, because they want to get down to a new process shrink on the M3. So that's already kind of weird, right? Because spec for spec, it would be comparable to the Mac Studio. So the Mac Pro, obviously, yes. being a larger machine with extra cooling and additional space, well, then, of course, you're going to expand it. You can put in GPUs and other storage. But then the rumors are now saying, yeah, but no, that that's no not how it's going to work because there's no GPUs and there's no expansion cards. And so it's just – it is what – so then what is it? If it's just the same thing spec for spec is because the Mac Studio is not thermally throttled. It's not constrained by its size. It works great. So if the only difference is, hey, same computer, but now it's heavy and big. What? No, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. There's no need for that to exist. So I have, I have to think that they're working on some, and maybe it's proprietary, but some expandability, some, maybe you can upgrade, you know, it's got the unified memory on the SOC, but maybe you could add additional slower traditional PCIe based memory onto the motherboard. Maybe they have their own expansion cards where, hey, we took the fantastic GPU inside the M2 or the M3 Ultra, and you can add double the memory, you know, you can add double the GPU compute by putting this card in. And yeah, you have to buy it from us. And sure, it's expensive, but that's what this is for. Because if that doesn't exist, then why does it exist? I mean, there's no reason for it to exist. Yeah, and furthermore, point? what's even more confusing is that all of the recent reports seem to indicate that this is going to kill the Mac Studio and that the Mac Studio is just a one-off Band-Aid. No, the Mac Studio is amazing. And it works for so many people. So many people that were buying Mac Pros because an iMac didn't work for them. Developers running Xcode. People that don't need graphics, but did need the neural engine inside of the chip that need all this other stuff that comes with the M1 Ultra. But again, don't want a huge machine. The Mac Studio is an amazing computer. I love the Mac Studio. And it's the first new Mac that Apple's released in since the Mac Mini in 2005. I mean, so it's a brand new form factor, which is super cool. So I have to think that 
they're not killing the studio. That makes no sense. What I could see is them doing kind of a staggered refresh cycle. So this year we're refreshing the Mac Pro. Next year there's a new Mac Studio. The year after that there's Mac Pro. Because again, this market is pretty small, right? They're not doing that much volume on this. But it just... They can't be the same. It makes no sense. And it makes me mad when people say that that's what's going to happen. Because <laughs> what? I think when it comes to the studio and the Mac Pro, you're going to run into a MacBook Air or MacBook Pro problem, right? The Mac Studio gets so good that why is a Mac Pro necessary? Then you start specking up a studio, you're probably going to be at prices where the Pro will eventually start. So before I say this, this next point, I do want to sort of preface it with Apple's only obligation is to their shareholders. They have no obligation to the consumer whatsoever. Sure. And that misconception sure. that they oh, the consumer anything is, is, is non-existent. There has never been a bigger FU, I don't think, in recent tech history than Apple happily selling a $50,000 Mac Pro and then several months later essentially obsoleting it. I can't wait to see how they justify this. How they try to sell like, this is the one to get. The last one, totally kidding. This one will be current for more than six months, I promise. I just, I can't wait to see how that story ultimately plays out. And if the only advantage you end up getting from a Mac Pro is expandability, perhaps that's enough. But like Quinn said, the Mac Studio is so good. It's hard to see right now where a Mac Pro could really do that much more. Well, first of all, the Mac Pro came out in 2019. And when did Apple announce a transition to their own silicon? Mm, a couple of years ago. 2021? It's 2020, I believe. It was months later. Wasn't it March 2020, I thought, or something like that? Oh, yeah, you're right. No, it was 2020 because 2022 would have been the two-year transition that they missed. I see what you're saying. And they announced it saying they're going to transition every computer over. Yes. So we are talking months before they did that. Now, I don't even believe this, but I'm just going to say it because, you know, I think it's an interesting thought experiment. It is true that they do not owe anything to shareholders, right? But what they did do was piss off the entire pro market for about 10 years <laughs> from when the trash can Mac Pro came out to the new refresh 2019 Mac Pro. And I think they were pretty cognizant of that market that, again, is small, but has been valuable to market the creative market. That's what the, you know, owning a Mac's all about. So they lost the artists and the video editors and the developers and the graphic artists and, and the 3D animators and all the people that they use to advertise how cool a Mac is. And I think that they really have made earnest efforts over the last last few years to get those markets back. The problem is, is that I just had a lunch meeting the other day with a gentleman that runs a 3D animation studio. And he said, you know, we are really struggling because he said what we had been doing was running macOS High Sierra because that was the last version of macOS that supported NVIDIA graphics drivers. And so we've been running a four-year-old OS, basically five now, on all of our machines just so that we could continue to use NVIDIA cards because the AMD cards are not quite as good in our workload. But it wasn't working out. It wasn't practical. And so we went out and we bought some Mac Pros and we loaded them up with nice AMD GPUs and they work really, really well. But the software that we're using is not remotely close to being transitionable to Apple Silicon. Hasn't happened. They're not even really working on it. And so he goes, if it so becomes that that's the only way to move forward and or if there is no option for additional expandability and overhead, then the companies that make software that have always been predominantly used on the Mac are going to be forced to move somewhere else. And on the one hand, yeah, it doesn't really affect Apple's bottom line. So what do they care? But on the other hand, Apple has always been proud about 
people that use their machines for pro workflows. And if that can't go anymore because they just have kind of decided to kill the product line, then that's a struggle. So here's my crazy prediction that is not really a real prediction because I don't think it makes any sense. But if you've got a situation where they were hoping to create a crazy baller M1 Extreme or whatever Mac Pro with expandability, and uh uh-oh, turns out that's not possible, hasn't happened. All the musicians that are using PCIe-based expansion cards, we don't really have an option for you. It's possible, not likely, But possible, we see a very, very quiet refresh of the 2019 Mac Pro to the newest generation of Intel Xeons that just started shipping that were delayed for literally two years. There was rumors for years of Apple shipping an updated Sapphire Rapids Mac Pro, but Intel just, and again, Apple's been trying to move away from Intel for years because they suck at timelines, but they just started shipping that stuff. And I wonder if it's possible that because the Mac Pro that they wanted to build, they couldn't actually build by now and they need to release something. They can't just leave everyone in the dark for another three years that they go back to retool to make a proper Mac Pro in a couple of years and just put this there. Hey, there's a new Mac Pro. Yeah, it's Intel. We're not promising it's going to be supported for 10 years, but here's a little Band-Aid that can keep you occupied until we're ready to have a new proper Mac Pro. No, I don't think so. No, I don't don't think so. Oh my gosh. I could see them doing that and selling a new one, like the, an an Apple Silicon version. I can see them updating that one. Yeah. Maybe they call it Mac pro mini or something. I don't know. Or maybe they just call it the Mac pro. And then in a few years they come out and go, Hey, you know, now we have Mac mega pro with, with, proper PCIe expansion. And I don't know. I don't think it's probably likely, but I do think that they are going to piss off the people that they had just finally won back over three years ago. And it's going to be sad (laughs) to see that happen. I do wonder about that, though, because I do feel like, I mean, geez, the M2 Pro Mac Mini beats the current Mac Pro in a lot of ways. And so I feel like with something like the Mac Studio... It becomes, unless you need all these expansion ports, which I assume a large percentage of people who would buy the Intel Mac Pro don't, like maybe they needed more power, but didn't need everything else that it offered. I think that's probably true. But I, and Apple has said this before, when they released the 2017 iMac Pro as a Band-Aid until the 2019 Mac Pro was ready, they said the overwhelming majority, and I don't remember, they gave a percentage at that little round table. It was like 90% or something of people that bought Macs that were considered pro users were developers using Xcode and for which the Mac Studio is the perfect product. They don't need a Mac Pro, but there is still that 10% of people that are doing 3D animation and people that are doing compute that can't be done through the neural engine on Apple's chips. You have people that are doing audio and just a couple workloads where the GPU compute is not there on their chips. Now, the SOCs are amazing and their performance per watt is incredible, but they are objectively not fantastic at graphics. And so you're going to lose that market. Now, maybe Apple goes, yeah, it's only 10% of our pro market. We don't really care. And so sorry, you know, go to Windows. But if I know anything about Apple, they don't really like to lose people that they can retain from a pride standpoint. So I've got to think that there's something we're not seeing here that the rumors aren't suggesting because it just doesn't make sense for this to be the way that it happens. (laughs) I don't know. I agree. I agree. I'm extremely curious to see what happens with the Mac Pro, hopefully, hopefully this year. 
let's switch to another company. And this is going to be a conversation more between you guys that I'm just curious to to sit in on okay. and listen. Obviously, I've been a Tesla owner, I think about five years now, between the Model 3 and Model Y. I know both of you guys are previous Tesla owners, and now you both drive Rivian trucks. I would love to hear about that perspective because you guys have both been driving your Rivians now for a while. How that's going, how you compare it to your previous electric vehicles, and also what you think going forward into the future. Quinn, I'll let you, uh, you start. You've had yours a little longer than me. It's the best car I've ever owned. Full stop. I was a Tesla owner for four years and I loved my Tesla. Teslas. I owned a Model 3 and a Model Y and they made me never want to drive a gas car ever again. And mm-hmm. for everything that a lot of traditional car buyers do not like Tesla, those are the reasons that I do typically like Tesla. I like the idea that you get in and there's no engine on button. You just put your foot on the brake, you push the drive stock down and you go. I like their autopilot and ADAS system. I like most of the way that their UI is controlled through the screen. I like the simplicity of the cabin. I like the focus on performance. All the things that Tesla kind of did that was non-conventional. I like software as a service, basically, where your car continues to get updates into the future and it's always a growing and improving product. I like that it's controlled by an app and that there's a dog mode and all the stuff that people tease Tesla for. I actually like it. But the issues that existed that I had when I owned a Tesla, mostly regarding interior build quality, build quality overall, general cabin comfort and noise, and then kind of it being stuck to pavement, not for any problem of the vehicle itself, but just because that's the way they were designed, Rivian fixes all of those problems. So I think they've taken all of the good of Tesla. And I think if you've driven a Tesla and you're like, I don't like this, I really don't think you're going to like Rivian. (laughs) I think it copies much of what Tesla has done well, because Rivian is comprised of many ex-Tesla engineers. They've taken the good that Tesla has done, and I think iterated on that. And that's why the experience is fairly similar. But I think that they have incredible quality materials that's bested by only luxury vehicles like Range Rovers and high-end Mercedes. And they're really, really well built. I think the vehicles are hyper fun. The suspension is incredible. The hydraulic suspension is the same kind that they use in McLarens because it's hydraulically cross-linked, which is super fun when you're on the road. But then you can also go off-road and climb up boulders. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's a single car on the planet that can do everything that the R1S or the R1T can do better than it can do all of those things. It's not going to climb up an off-road trail better than a Jeep Wrangler, and it's not going to drive up the canyon faster than a Porsche Cayenne, but it does all of those things better than any other car on the planet. And for that reason, I think it's the best single car you can own. And I really, really, really love it. (laughs) It's fantastic. I can talk about my perspective from the R1T and also the R1S, which my wife has had for about four months. I drove Teslas for seven years. I had one of the original Model S's, had a Model X, and then had a Model 3. People are going to have opinions on electric cars, and they're going to hear about range and and charging, all that kind of stuff. And and in some ways, it's still valid, even with Tesla being up to superchargers. But I I agree with Quinn. There's been nothing that I've needed this car, the SUV or the truck to do that hasn't been able to do incredibly well. And then do it fun. From having to haul TVs, I was having torrential rainstorms here in California. We don't deal with snow. My wife is coming from a Honda Odyssey minivan. She never felt safe in in the rain. 
She said the car drove exactly the same in torrential downpour as it did when the roads were dry. And that's due to weight. We have the off-road tires. She loves this, her R1S. She said, I'll probably just always have whatever the new version of this is whenever it's time to get another car. I am shocked by the build quality for a new car company. In fact, when Sandy Monroe tore it down, Rivian went the opposite direction. They put more money in the cars than most have done. It's too much. They were welded things that didn't have to be welded together. <laughs> they sort of reinvented a structural chassis so that collision points were pretty much everywhere. It's no wonder their quarterly earnings have not been great because they're spending so much money making each car that good. It's been incredible. Now, there's some things that I wish it had, and the show's features are coming. I wish it had dash cam and those sort of features that sort of Tesla has done incredibly well. But Rivian's been pretty good about pushing updates out. The navigation is not great, but yesterday I got an update that now it's using Google Maps for addresses and, and for destinations, which has been awesome. I am really impressed. There's very few things about it that scream a new company. The one thing that makes me laugh every time is when you get a software update and it's 75 minutes because literally reinstalling the whole OS every time mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, instead instead of just uh, instead of just pushing <laughs> yeah instead of just pushing updates out. But man, like they're really good. I mean, they're really good for pretty much everything. How was it going from? I don't know if you guys had owned pickups before this, but going from like a car slash SUV form factor moving to a pickup. I think where they excel, they also fall short. If you're hauling electric trucks, all of them, the F-150 Lightning, the Hummer EV, the Rivian R1T, none of them are going to be good. (laughs) And the reality is, is that they're so aerodynamic and they're so efficient for the weight that they're carrying that as soon as you start hauling several thousand pounds, it's actually less to do with the total weight and more so to do with the aerodynamics of the trailer that you're pulling. It will massively hurt your range substantially. I mean, we're talking half of what you would expect when the battery is full. So If that's how you're viewing or how you plan to use a truck, it's probably not going to work for you unless you're hauling stuff around your ranch or you're towing your boat to a lake that's, you know, 40 miles away or whatever. I think that that's always going to be the pain point on battery electric vehicles, at least certainly on consumer pickup trucks for years to come. Now, in terms of it being able to do things that a truck can do if you're not pulling a trailer, yeah, I mean... There's nothing special about it. It can do pretty much everything. I've had four by eight sheet goods loaded into the back of the truck, no problem. I don't have to like put them in over the wheel wells like I've had to do in other pickup trucks I've had in the past. It's just, I mean, it's it's really, really well thought out and designed. The tie down points are pretty good. You can absolutely use it as a regular truck. And if you're like most Americans who are buying an F-150, the best selling car in America and towing things and going to Home Depot, you know, once a month, <laughs> newsflash, this truck is going to do all of that just as well. If you're the fraction of a percent that's doing like real truck things with your truck, then maybe you might find that electric is still not for you. But for everyone else who is, and truck owners won't admit it, is the vast majority of people that are buying these cars, it is absolutely fine. And in many cases, even better than gas powered alternatives. I never had a pickup truck before this. And I think for some people, the shorter bed size can be an issue, you know, compared to a full size pickup truck. It is. And it's short, but yeah, it's four and a half feet, but it's that tailgate is gooseneck hinged. So that actually stretches out to seven feet as long as you tie stuff down. Now you've got to tie stuff down, but yeah. It is a load bearing tailgate and the gooseneck hinge really does help. But I mean, the knocks on you see it are from like people who've driven trucks for 
you know, 20, 30 years. And I could see how the Rivian may not appeal to them. I honestly forget that I'm driving a truck most of the time. And it's just nice to have the room when I need it. It just feels like driving any other car. Driving my wife's R1S is a very different driving experience, though, because it's shorter. So it drives even better than the truck does, which has been sort of incredible for a truck that already drives so well. Listen, I don't, I never had a truck before. I'm not necessarily a truck guy. It's been nice to have when I need it. I'm bringing TVs to the studio and hauling stuff back and forth. It's been really handy. And a lot of times it's been great to have. But I think for folks who just want the extra functionality of having a truck bag when you need it, and then having a car that's just great to drive overall, it's like a perfect automobile for almost everybody. They got to fix the tonneau cover. They have to get their cost per vehicle down. So they're here to support these cars in the next, you know, past middle of 25 when the current cash burn will run out. They have to bridge the gap with software with Tesla, which is going to be very hard because Tesla in a lot of ways is a software company and their advantage is huge. Their driver plus has to improve. What's that? That's their autopilot. The disengagements, I mean, it can be like road sign ahead, disengagement, lanes merging, disengagement, a tow road, disengagement. I almost don't use it anymore because there's so many disengagements that happen. And it's not like accidental. It's like certain parameters have to happen. Those parameters happen so often, at least by me, it's not very useful to have. But man, these trucks are good. They are really, they're not for everybody, like Quinn said, but they are really good for most everybody. I think the answer you kind of, there's two questions you have to ask yourself. The first one is, do I like the idea of an electric car? And if you do, I think these instantly jump to probably the top of your list. And then for the truck, the question you have to ask is, what do I think about the Toyota Tacoma? <laughs> They're basically the identical size. So if a Tacoma works for you, the R1T will work for you. If it's too small and you're like, nah, I got to get a long bed F-150, then this is probably not going to work. And the Cybertruck, when it comes out, if it ever comes out, will probably be a better option because based on the one that was seen a few days ago, and we could probably talk about that, it's a six foot bed. So that's the same size as a short cab or, or long bed F-150. So it's a big, big, big truck. And the R1T is is a small truck, not a tiny truck. It's not like a Subaru Baja, but it's a Tacoma. And then as for the R1S, this is the other thing. People always cross shop the R1S and the Model X because they seat the same amount of people, but they are not the same size vehicle. The R1S is a much larger car, rides much more like an SUV, where I think the Model X is more of minivan-esque. And so you should really compare it to, you know, I frankly think the R1S, you can, it's better to compare it to a large Toyota Sequoia or one of the larger SUVs than you would... Tahoe or something. Totally. It's way closer to a Tahoe than it is to a Model X in size. So that's a consideration too. And it practically fits seven people, whereas the Model X and the certainly the Model Y, eh, you're cutting it close. But if you wanted to pick up an R1T or R1S, you can't just go to the store and grab one, right? They have to like, it's like a, what, several year yeah. waiting list at this point? couple of years. If you order now, I think they say by the end of next year, but that's optimistic. So you can get a truck much faster. There's some people that have ordered yeah. the truck six months ago that are already kind of getting them. The reality is, oh, is that it's, okay. it's mostly geographically related. They're making deliveries and prioritizing deliveries close to delivery and service centers. So if you live close to a service center and you order today, you might get it in a few months. Whereas if you're out in the middle of Nebraska, sorry, even though you ordered four years ago, it's probably going to be a while before you get yours. That's interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about the Cybertruck for a minute. So John, I know you've seen it in person. I have not. I don't know if, yes. if you have, but I would love to hear some of those thoughts. And, and if seeing it in person entices you into purchasing one. 
So I've seen it twice in person. I want to say that I don't, I don't have really any anti-Tesla stuff. I just didn't get a Tesla gang. So I had driven one for seven years. I just wanted to, I just wanted to look at something different, a different UI. I would happily go back to Tesla again. So I saw a Cybertruck in two different forms. I saw it at its unveiling. And then I saw the alpha build at the Peterson on Peterson Museum a few months ago. I have not seen the current beta prototype that they're showing that they're kicking around. It was the last alpha build before it went to beta. I've never seen a mainstream car design more polarizing before. I think people already know if they love it or, or they don't. Like you're not going to convince somebody to love the Cybertruck design at all. To me, it's, it's still a hard thing to look at because it looks like it's just unrendered in your eyes. I mean, it's just, it's like a wedge driving. I can see why people are going to like it. The, the steel is going to make it durable. It doesn't matter if you get dinged. I'm sure the performance is going to be absolutely insane. All the technology is going to be there. It's not for me. Maybe I'm too old to drive something like that. My wife wouldn't even get in the car with me probably driving something like that. <laughs> I'd be curious how many reservations convert to orders. I would also be very wary of the price point of this thing. I think anybody who thinks that the, that the tri-motor expensive version is not going to be the one that comes out first probably needs to reevaluate. I think it's going to come out. I wouldn't be surprised if this thing tops out north of $90,000. Absolutely. Yep. Agree. And then ultimately, you know, they'll say maybe that $50,000 version is coming, much like a $25,000 Model 3 or $35,000 Model 3 eventually came for a hot second. It's a look, man. You are committing to being like that becomes a personality trait when you drive it. Would you get one? No, I don't. I don't think so. It's honestly, it's too big. I couldn't fit it in my garage, which is where I like to charge. First of all, it's just it's too big. It's huge. Uh, second of all, I'm yeah, Zion's not for me. I would I would pick up my okay. Lex in a heart in a heartbeat before I would get a Cybertruck. That's more what I was wondering. So if it was a similar size to the Rivian, but same design, yeah. you still wouldn't. It's the design that you don't like. The size is the first one. I couldn't get it anyway because it's too big. Like I could I couldn't park it on the driveway because my wife couldn't back her car. I just I, I couldn't get it anyway because of the size. Maybe I could get over the design if it did something incredible no other truck did before, but. I don't think the look, the look is for me. Does it almost, to me, the, it's weird or maybe not so weird, but the Cybertruck has not come out yet, but I almost feel like it's old. Like we've seen it around for years to the point where it doesn't feel new or exciting. It feels like something that's been around that I just don't have. I think it will. I mean, they, they committed to saying it's coming this year. Like they said it at yesterday, yes. like they're on the hook for it coming this year. They'll probably deliver like one you know, to Elon in December, but I think it'll seem new when it finally comes out. I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be some sort of, maybe it'll be the first car with hardware five in it. The newest beta had a front facing camera in the bumper, which is new for Tesla. So I'm sure there'll be something in there that sort of brings the newness back a little bit. Quinn, what are your thoughts on this vehicle? I went to the unveiling as well. And I remember thinking when they drove it out on stage, everyone in the press booth was like, this is a joke, right? Like this is obviously joke, not the yes. car. Like everyone was like, right. what? The real one's coming. Yeah, right. They didn't. That was it. And I remember thinking, oh man, that is hideous. But then as the event was going on, I'm like, I can kind of see it. And then when I got up close and I actually took the test ride in it, let me put it this way. The Cybertruck looks far kinder on the eyes in person than it does on the web. I remember when I was up close to it, it looks a lot better in real life than it does online, especially in kind of these alpha builds where the steel's all warped and everyone's like, oh my gosh, that looks awful. And the back end looks terrible. I do think that it looks less cool than it did at its unveiling. 
just because of regulatory reasons. They have to put those amber lights on it because it's too wide, right? Um, it's exceeded the width that you can go without amber tally markers. So it's got those. It's going to have mirrors, obviously, which Elon says are removable. We'll see about that. It's got headlights that are more normal looking beneath. It's got the massive wiper, right? So it, inherent to it having to be street legal, it's going to look less crazy than it did at its unveiling. But I do think it stayed pretty well true to its basic design, which Tesla has a pretty good track record of doing. And I still think that as you start to see them, people will flip out and think they're crazy cool. And I think either one of two things happens. After three years, when there's a bunch of them, we just don't really think anything about it. And it's just like, oh, yep, it's a Cybertruck. Or there will be enough of them that we'll start to think, yeah, I don't I don't know if it's that cool looking anymore, but whatever. And the reality is, is that there's a lot of people that don't think any of Tesla's vehicles have been very good looking and they haven't had a problem selling them, right? So I don't think the design that matters. It'll mostly come down to functionality and where I think that, I agree with John, the price is going to increase. They're adding stuff that they now have to add in order to compete with what's out on the market. They're no longer the first electric truck. They're coming, they're coming late to the game. And so they've added stuff yep. that I think is going to be awesome. Rear wheel steering is a huge one. Rear wheel steering was not part of the original spec. They have air suspension now, which at the time they were kind of hush-hush on. They didn't say it was going to have it, but they certainly didn't imply that it wasn't going to have it. They've kind of changed some stuff around because they have to compete with what's already out on the market. And that inherently is going to drive up the price. Now, I think rear wheel steering on a car that is that big with a wheelbase that long is going to be huge. It's going to feel like a way smaller car when you drive it. It's got to be there. But that's the kind of stuff that's going to push the price up and up and up and up and up. And where I don't think Tesla is going to do what Ford is doing with the F-150 Lightning is they're not going to start cutting out major features to bring the price down because Tesla doesn't do that. They've never done that. They want to keep their production line as simple as possible and basically price to demand. So don't think that the $39,000 model is not going to have rear wheel steering and won't have air suspension. That's not going to happen. It's going to have everything. And so if they can't make that happen at $39,000, which spoiler alert, they're not going to be able to because look at their cheapest car that's a Model 3 and it's not even that price and it's a much less expensive car to build and the battery is way less capacious. You know, There's going to be issues with them hitting that target, but I do think that they'll be competitive. Not competitive. I think they'll be a, an excellent value by the time you look at the spec sheet and then look at the car in, in front of you. And so I think that'll be exciting. And Tesla's Tesla. I mean, I, I also wonder how many of the 200,000 plus orders are going to convert because it was only $100 that was returnable, right? But I think they're going to sell quite a lot of them. I think they'll quickly become the best-selling electric pickup in the world shortly after launch. Just because they have mm. they have the scale they have the scale that nobody else really has. The one thing I'm curious about is the, their whole move to vision, as opposed to radar, which I assume the Cybertruck will be a part of that. Yeah. And the features that are missing, they're backing out on that though. Their radar is coming back allegedly. Are they? Yeah. yeah, there's no ultrasonic sensors though. So good luck parking your 50 foot refrigerator. <laughs> See, that's what I was just going to say. Is I tested out the I'm um, where I'm actually working on my video of the Hummer EV. And the one thing I was worried about before it arrived was, okay, I'm going to like test it, right? Take it out. But I want to like use it. Like I want to go to do typical things, like go to the grocery store or whatever. Then I was like, how am I going to park this thing in like, you know, those perpendicular spots? And then it was just funny because I was pulling up to a spot 
it, it looked super tight. And then the car was like, hey, you want to park here? And I was like, oh, yeah, please. And I just hit the button. And it it was like the easiest parking job. Like my Model Y doesn't even park like that. Like, And then I remembered it's because I think my Model Y, I believe I got it after they removed the radar sensors or the ultrasonic sensors, whatever it is. So it doesn't do a good job or or even any job at self-parking right now. Is that going to be an issue with this super large truck where self-parking is probably out of all their vehicles, probably the most important on something like that for, for the everyday person. But John, it sounds like you're saying they may be bringing back radar or Quinn's you say, no, it's not. There's been rumors of it for sure. I think the most important thing and what Elon will tell you and what everyone else at Tesla will tell you is, oh, don't look at how our cars currently park themselves. Don't look at summon mode. Don't even look at autopilot on the highway. That's a five-year-old software stack that we really haven't done that much with because we've been working on full self-driving like crazy. Version 11 of the FSD beta is going to integrate for the first time ever the highway stack with the rest of the stack for, you know, every time you get, and it's not obvious, they don't make this known. Even Marquez, who does excellent research on his videos, was driving on the highway and like, oh, that wasn't that great. FSD should do better. But that wasn't FSD. That was the same autopilot that's been in use for four years, right? And so I think their answer is, yeah, it kind of sucks right now, but just wait. It's because we have to mold all of it together. And that's when we'll update driving around in the parking lot and finding a parking spot. Because famously, they added this later on, but famously for years, their park assist only used ultrasonic sensors. So we didn't look at the lines at all. It just said, okay, let's put ourselves in the middle of the other two cars that we're next to. And then that's how we're going to park. It was fairly rudimentary where everyone else is kind of caught up and Tesla's neglected that. But the hope is that when they finally combine them all together, all the issues should be fixed. Now, whether or not that's going to happen, I don't know, <laughs> but that's the promise. <laughs> right. I mean, it would be nice to get all the features that the car promises to give you yeah the <laughs> that, stuff you paid that for they took away yeah, when they weird, deleted right? exactly yeah. yeah exactly well quinn thank you for joining us this week again second week in a row we really appreciate thanks it thanks for having really me thanks, quinn speaking with you and having your expertise here i'll be back next week and i'll be sure to press record sorry about this week my apologies <laughs> <laughs> and that is it for this edition of geared up thank you so much for listening of course you can catch john and i on youtube I'm at youtube.com slash gear live and John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to geared up in your favorite podcast app. If you haven't done so already, just search geared up. That's two words, not one in Apple podcasts, Spotify, pocket casts, overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.